Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. My mom used to tell me a story about a time when I was four or five years old, and uh, she had given me a balloon. I don't remember if it was my birthday or some other special occasion. Back in 1961 and two, if you got a balloon, that was a special occasion. And anyway, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, it popped. And uh, it was one of those rare times when I was growing up when my dad was around. My dad worked away a lot, and he was there that day. So I took my balloon to my dad, and I said, Dad, fix this. And he said, you can't fix a broken balloon. So my brother Tom was there, and he's older than me. So I took it to Tom. I said, Tom, fix this. He said, you can't fix a broken balloon. Well, I was a determined, determined little guy, and uh, I wasn't willing to take, you know, can't fix a broken balloon for an answer. So I walked down to the local mom-and-pop grocery store about half a mile away. Now, remember, I'm four and five years old. My mom wasn't with me. My dad wasn't with me. I didn't ask permission. Back in those days in Gypsy, probably still in Gypsy, you could do that, and it was okay. But anyway, I went into the store, and there was Harmon Tiger. He was the owner-proprietor of the store. He was standing behind his glass, you know, candy case, and... He looked down, and I, I put my balloon up on his glass case. You know, he was an old guy. He was probably like 57 or something. Anyway, anyway, I said, Harmon, can you fix my balloon? And he nodded his head, and he took my balloon off the counter, and he disappeared into the back room. He was gone for, oh, I don't know, maybe a minute or two. It wasn't very long, and he came back. He said, here it is, good as new. Hand me my balloon. It was the same color, same size, same shape. Of course, back then there was only one shape of balloon, three colors, one size. But anyway, he gave me my balloon. At least I thought it was my balloon. I believed that it was my balloon because when you're four or five years old, you believe a lot of things are possible. In fact, you believe everything's possible when you're four or five years old. If you were brought up by loving, caring parents, when you're four or five years old, an adult hands you a balloon that looks exactly like the one that you just saw pop, you believe that he fixed it. And from that moment on, I believed that Harmon Tiger could fix anything. You see, when we are born into the world, we all believe in magic and miracles, all of us. Nobody is born into the world with a natural, scientific worldview. I had no trouble believing that Harmon fixed my balloon because I was four or five years old. Now, all of us fall on a spectrum of belief when it comes to what could happen. In fact, as I was telling that story, you all laughed, and most of you probably thought, what a cute little story, but some of you thought, boy, that guy was mean. I mean, he acted like he could fix your balloon, and he couldn't fix your balloon. But you see, some of us fall on this far end of the spectrum where we believe anything that seems plausible. And some of us are on this end of the spectrum where we don't believe anything that we hear and only half of what we see. And and in life, as we grow up, we fall somewhere, you know, on one of this extreme to this extreme, somewhere on the spectrum. And there are only three, actually three worldviews when it comes to what we believe about anything. There's the natural worldview, and that's the worldview that says only what we can see, touch, taste, hear and smell, that's what's real. Anything we can project from that, nothing else is real. Then there's the magical worldview and the supernatural worldview. And we're going to talk more about those and the distinctions between those in a moment. But when I was four or five years old, I believed in a lot of things. I believed my balloon was fixed by Harmon Tiger. 
I believe that there was a guy named Jesus who was born of the Virgin Mary. I believe that Frosty the Snowman actually came to life and actually, you know, ran through the, the town until the traffic cop said, stop. I believed all those things. Now, the thing is, there's only one worldview that's true. It's either the natural one, it's the magical one, or it's the supernatural one. They're not all true. Only one of them is true, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And as we continue our series, you know, the Christmas at the movies, we're going to look at Elf today, and the take-home point for today, and for those of you who are new here at New Life, um, the take-home point is the one point that I hope you'll go home with today, that you'll think about it, that you'll pray about it, that you'll live it out in the power of the Spirit this week, and here it is. Childlikeness, childlikeness is the center of Christmas and of being Christians. You see... If we're ever going to be Christians, we have to believe like little children. Not necessarily believe that Harmon Taggart can fix your balloon. Okay, but you have to believe some things that the world doesn't believe. And Jesus actually said that we'll never go to heaven unless we are like little children. Unless we believe things that you can't really see with the naked eye. And we're going to talk about that right now as we turn to Matthew's Gospel chapter 18. If you have your Bible, you might want to uh, turn there and follow along. It's Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. Before we start to read, I want to tell you about the movie we're going to refer to today. It's Elf, and probably you guessed that because Elf, uh, Buddy, and Jovi were out there in, in the hall after. I'm going to give this to somebody before I break it, too, because I'm good at breaking balloons. There you go. Um, so anyway... Buddy is an elf. Well, he's not really. He's a human being who thought he was an elf because he was raised by elves. And you can tell already this is a magical kind of a story, right? It's not a natural, scientific kind of story. It's from the magical realm. And Buddy was raised by elves, but he found out that he was a human. And he was about 30 years old when he found this out. And so he took the trip from the North Pole all the way to New York City because that's where his dad lived. And Buddy is going to teach us some things about the supernatural world, even though he comes from the magical world or believes in them. I mean, Buddy believed people could be hundreds of years old. Buddy believed, you know, in a lot of things that are magic, but not supernatural. We'll talk about that a little bit. But first, let's turn to God's Word. Matthew chapter 18. And the disciples come to Jesus with a very serious question. I mean, this is probably about the most serious question you could ask other than how do you get to heaven? The question is this. It says, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus, asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for these words of Jesus which remind us that we must become childlike not childish, but childlike, if we're ever going to see you and if we're ever going to be part of your kingdom. We ask today that you would pour your spirit into us that we might see with eyes that see beyond what is seeable in the natural realm to the truth that those who become like little child children are the only ones who ever see you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... 
Jesus responded to a very serious question. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God by bringing a little child up front and putting the little child behind him, beside him and saying, unless you turn and become like this little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Now, I have made the distinction for decades now about the difference between childlikeness, which Jesus elevates, and childishness, which Jesus never would elevate. To be childish is very easy. I can explain it very easily. You ever been in a Walmart or a Giant Eagle or someplace, and the little kid's like this tall, and they go past the place where they put the candy and stuff, and the little kid reaches, and mom says no. And the little kid goes, that's childish. It's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about childlike, which he actually explains here. One component of childlikeness is humility. Little children who are four or five are humble. You know why four or five-year-olds are humble? Because they're vulnerable. That's why. Because they're simple. And when I say simple, I don't mean stupid. I wasn't stupid because I believed that Harmon fixed my balloon. I was simple. I was unlearned. I was unskilled. I didn't know that it, that couldn't happen. And, and probably I should not have walked from my house down to Harmon's store because four-year-olds don't know how to navigate and, 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 and live in the world, the real world out there, you know? Because we haven't, we haven't experienced the, the things of life that would allow us to take the knowledge that we've been gaining. And I'll tell you what, four-year-olds today probably have more knowledge than I had when I was 15. But they don't have the skill. They don't have the, they don't have the, the life skills, if you will, to do anything with it yet. And so, so that's why childlikeness involves humility. And Jesus said, unless we become humble, because adults are not humble and children learn soon enough not to be humble, unless we're humble and, and turn and become like little children, we're not going to go to heaven. But another aspect of childlikeness is this belief that we have that things that don't seem possible are possible. And that's where I have to now make the distinction between the magical world and the supernatural world. You see, in the magical world, what happens is it's just the natural world, but what we're able to do is we're able to, through a spell or a charm or an incantation, to manipulate the natural to make it something bigger than natural. So, for instance, how did Frosty the Snowman come to life? Because there must have been some magic, right, in that old silk hat they found. When they put it on, he began to dance around. And if I could sing, I would have sang, sang that for you. But since I can't, I want you to come back next week. I didn't sing it. But you get the idea. The magical world says you manipulate this world to get what you want. That's not supernatural. Supernatural says there is something, or more properly, someone who exists outside of this world. Actually, someone who actually created this world. He created all that we can see and, and so much that we can't see. The things that you can touch and the things that you can taste and the things that you can hear and smell and all that. Those are the things. This being from outside of nature came into nature. And actually, most clearly at this time of year, Christmas, when Jesus was born, the God of the universe who's outside and super above the natural came into the natural in the form of a little guy named Jesus, a baby that we celebrate on December 25th, even though we don't have any clue when he was really born, what, time, what day of the year. But Jesus, the baby, was placed in a manger. He's God in the flesh. The word incarnation literally means taking on flesh. We sang about Emmanuel, which means God with us. He not only was with us, he became one of us. And so the supernatural, that which is beyond nature, comes into nature. He assumes 
the identity of a human being. And he grows up and he lives a perfect life and he dies a sacrificial death in our place because we who are natural have done things that are against the supernatural God who created us and so we deserve judgment. And yet God didn't want to judge us. He didn't want to punish us. He wanted to free us because he loves us, but he couldn't just do that. He's a just God as well as a loving God. And so he comes in and he dies. And then he rises again and then he goes back to heaven and he sends his spirit, the supernatural, in us. Those are the things that we believe. That's not magic. It's beyond the natural. It's not manipulating the natural so it can be what we want it to be. It is super beyond the natural. So the danger is as we grow up, And as we discard the magical viewpoint, the magical worldview that we have, that we discard the supernatural along with it. Because when we're little, those two get mixed together. And we don't know for sure. When when we finally find out that something magical isn't the way we thought it was, we say, oh, well, then maybe Jesus doesn't exist too. Maybe there isn't any God. Maybe all that there is is what we can see, what we can hear, what we can smell, what we can taste, and what we can touch. Maybe that is all there is. And that's the danger that comes because we blend the magical and the supernatural as we're growing up in our lives. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to turn to a scene from Elf. And we're going to see what a childlike person is really like. And it's going to look odd because Buddy's 30 years old and yet he's a little child. And, you know, Buddy has grown up in a place where everybody does the right thing all the time. He's grown up in a place where everybody loves everybody and everybody cares about everybody all the time. And where even when you do something wrong, everybody in the community tries to help to make it right. And so he's left that world to come to New York City where it's not so much that way anymore. And he went to work at Gimbel's. He fit in well there for a couple days. But uh, something happened. Um, Santa Claus came to Gimbel's and Buddy knew it wasn't the real Santa Claus because Buddy knew the real Santa Claus. So he got into a fight with a fake Santa Claus and he ends up in jail. And so this is the scene that we're going to look at right now. Uh, Buddy is getting bailed out of jail. I knew that you'd come. I love you for coming. Officer Tom, this is my dad. This is Walter. He bailed me out. They gave me one phone call. They gave me one phone call. I said, I know who I'm going to call. Walter Hobbs. Sure enough, you showed up. You did. They said you weren't going to show up. They told me so many times. Just who the heck are you and what is your problem? I, I'm Buddy. I'm your son. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Uh, where'd you get this picture? Papa Elf gave it to me. This is some kind of game. What do you want, some money? No. I just wanted to meet you, and I thought you might want to meet me. I wouldn't want to meet you. I thought maybe we could make gingerbread houses and eat cookie dough and go ice skating and and maybe even hold hands. Uh Come with me. Okay. You see, if Buddy had been six and we saw that scene, it would have made perfect sense, wouldn't it? A little boy wants to know his dad, and he hopes that his dad wants to know him. 
He wants to make gingerbread houses and eat cookie dough and go ice skating. He wants to hold hands with his dad. It all makes sense. In fact, a lot about Buddy makes sense because Buddy gets it. He understands that love is the thing that holds everything together. He understands that. And, and, and Buddy understands that family is important. And, and then Buddy also believes in some magic stuff that, that sort of goes beyond where we want to go this morning. But we can learn from the magical world. In fact, I've been asked many times over the years, what should Christians do with magical things? You know, like Santa Claus and elves and Easter Bunny and such. And the answer I'm going to give you may not make you happy. And actually, I really don't care that I might not make you happy because for all of my ministry, I've only cared about one thing, serving Jesus Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and making people aware of who he is and the power that he has in our lives to transform everything. And so listen very carefully. Here's the reason why magical, the magical worldview exists is because of those of us who live in the supernatural worldview live most of the time as if we don't believe it. Most of the time, those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we don't live as if there is a Jesus Christ. We don't live as if there are angels and demons who are battling with one another. We don't live as if the Holy Spirit's really in our lives and that we can pray for people and things can happen and change in their lives. We don't believe what we say we believe. We say we live in the supernatural world, but we actually live in that natural world of touch and taste and smell. And here, and that's the world we live in, the gray, the, the blacks and the whites. That's where we live. And so that's why there are witches and Jedi Knights. And, and that's why there are all of these magical beings, because they're real. Listen to what I'm saying. These beings are real in this sense, because you know what's going on right now? There is a battle going on right now. It's a battle of good versus evil. And that battle's very real. It's going on right now all around us. And in the magical world, that's what's happening all the time. And what happens also in that world is things aren't what they seem. You see, we turn on the news and we see things on the news that would tell us that if there is a good and evil battle going on, that the evil is winning. The evil isn't winning. The evil lost. The evil lost 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. Jesus overcame sin and death. And yes, there are still people dying all over the place. There is disease all over the place. There are children who are having their heads chopped off because they believe in Jesus in the Middle East. Those things are happening. And so we assume that what's real is that the evil has won. That's not what's real. And then here's the other thing that we don't believe but which every, every, every magical creature and character and movie teaches us that there are individuals who are very common, ordinary individuals, and their lives make all the difference. You see, I love Star Wars. I have always loved Star Wars, even though some of the video effects are pretty atrocious in the first early ones. But, you know, Luke Skywalker was a space farmer, whatever that is, right? Nobody knew who he was. And then one day he finds out that he's a Jedi Knight. And then the other thing you find out through, you know, various movies is that, that Luke's dad is the evil Darth Vader, except for the evil Darth Vader wasn't always evil. He used to be Anakin Skywalker, and actually the evil Darth Vader isn't even evil in the end, because guess what? Good always triumphs over evil. And so in the end, when it looks like evil is going to win and Luke Skywalker is going to be dead, Darth Vader shows up. And kills the wicked emperor. 
and they all sort of live happily ever after. You see, the magical world is real because that's what is happening right now. We can't see it all the time and know this. This is the most important thing. Probably I'm going to say this morning, every one of you in this room is playing an important role in this battle and you don't even know it most of the time. And you don't even acknowledge it most of the time. You might have come in here this morning thinking that you don't matter at all. But you do. You wouldn't be here if you didn't matter. God created you because you matter. And in the supernatural world, you are needed. And that's the truth. And if you don't do what God created you to do, somebody's going to die. Somebody's going to be separated from God forever. If you don't do what you were created to do, some victory that could have been won is going to be lost. And, and the overall victory will be won, but you, uh, a battle is going to be lost because you don't show up and be who you were created to be. You see, the thing I love about Elf is it tells us that Buddy saved Christmas. Buddy didn't save Christmas. You know who really saved Christmas? Jovi. Jovi's a common, ordinary girl. She's an she's a elf in the store at Gimbel's, and when Buddy meets her, he thinks that she's another elf because he only knows elves as, you know, elves. And he talks to her, and she says, don't talk to me. And then he said, well, I thought you were, you know, one of our elf kind. And she's like, I'm just trying to, here's what she said, I'm just trying to make it through the holidays. And Buddy says, oh, here's somebody who needs a little Christmas spirit, Right? And then he says, you know what? The best thing to make Christmas cheer is what? To sing out loud for all to hear. And Jovi won't sing out loud for all to hear until the very end of the movie. At the end of the movie, there's a crisis. There's always a crisis in the magical world. And the crisis this time is that Santa's sleigh is grounded in, in Central Park because the engine fell off. And the only reason there's an engine is because people don't have Christmas spirit anymore. They don't believe and so the, 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 the reindeer can't fly, and Buddy comes to save the day. But Buddy doesn't save the day. Jovi stands up on a sleigh in Central Park, and she starts to sing. And as she starts to sing, another person starts to sing, and another person starts to sing, and we see the little Christmas spirit meter go, and it's almost as high as it needs to be in order for Christmas to be saved. But guess who's not singing? Buddy's dad. He's just going with his lips but he's not singing and his other son says dad you're not singing and he starts to sing and boom it goes up and everything you know happens and here's what happens after um the christmas spirit meter goes up watch this and so with a little help buddy managed to save christmas and his spirit saved a lot of other people, too. Waller started his own independent publishing company. His first book was written by a brand new, critically acclaimed children's author. The book was Elf, a, a fictional story about an adopted elf named Buddy, who was raised in the North Pole, went to New York, ate spaghetti, worked in a shiny mailroom, and eventually saved Christmas. First, I traveled through the seven levels of the candy cane forest, past the sea of twirly, swirly gumdrops, 
then I walked through the Lincoln Tunnel. The deepest truth for us who follow Jesus and those who would follow Jesus is that one person can impact so many others. It's always been that way. You can look down through history and you can see so many times where one person stood up in faith and and a community changed, a society changed. And I mean, that was Jesus' plan. He left how many people? He left 12 guys. Ultimately, there were 120. Then there were 3,000. Then there were 5,000. Then there were hundreds of thousands. Today, millions. But it's one at a time. That's how Jesus planned for it to be. And if you live in the natural world where all that you can see and all that you can hear and, and all you can touch and taste and feel, that's all there is. If that's all that there is, you can't explain the world. And that's why I say you either have to choose the magical or the supernatural if you actually watch what's going on. The scientist, you know, I love scientists. I'm not against scientists. Everybody, I want you to know because I know because of science, I know that the law of gravity says that if I do this, I'm getting hurt. So that's why I don't do that. You see, the scientist has taught me a lot of things that I need to know. But what the scientist can't tell me is how did all this get here. When the scientist starts trying to talk about that, he or she begins to talk in the realm of faith. Because nobody can say how all this got here except by a faith statement. And when my brother Ken had his cornea of his eye torn when he was 15 years old and overnight without any medicine or surgery it was healed, science can't explain that, you see. And that was a pivotal moment in my life because that's when I realized that the supernatural is real. As a 17-year-old young man, I realized that everything I had read about in this book that used to happen still happens. And some would say, oh, that was magic. Somebody cast a spell on Ken and his eye was healed. Well, if you have that worldview, you might think that. But that's not what happened. What happened is the hand of God touched him. And in that one touch, it transformed my life and my life has been used by God to transform many other lives. And that's how God always seeks to work. Remember, I started out as a four or five-year-old in Gypsy, Pennsylvania, who believed that Harmon Tiger fixed my balloon. And yet, we grow up. And we choose. And that's the cool thing is God doesn't force us to believe anything. He lets us choose whether to live in that gray, black, and white world where the best you can hope for is to have a billion bucks or the best you can hope for is to be the president of the company or the best you can hope for is to have a lasting relationship with somebody. Or you live in the magical world which isn't real, but which is. That's the thing, which is because it points to the real. Or you can live in the supernatural world. Because I want to remind you something. When you go out today and if everything you see turns your stomach, if everything you hear is negative, if everything you smell smells like garbage, if, if, if everything you touch, you know, just, it just feels awful, if everything that you taste makes you sick, then remember this. Everything you can see, touch, taste, smell, hear, everything like that, that's not all there is. In fact, the Apostle Paul said some amazing words, and he was quoting the prophet Isaiah when he wrote this to the church in Corinth. He said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Look at that again. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. You see, this life holds incredible treasure for those who see it with eyes of faith instead of eyes of 
whatever the natural or the eyes of magic. When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples except for Thomas. Thomas wasn't there, and so the other guy said, hey, Jesus is alive. And then Thomas said, I don't believe it, and I'm not, not going to believe it till I see it. And so Thomas is over here, and Jesus comes in the room, and Jesus and Thomas are, I'm guessing they're at least 10 feet away, and Jesus says to Thomas, hey, Thomas, come on over, feel. You know, come on, put your hands in here. See that I'm real. And Thomas doesn't take a step. He gets down on his knees, and and he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says this, Thomas, do you believe because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us. I haven't seen Jesus. I haven't touched him. But I know he's real. And that's what we're talking about here this morning is that the real is far more than what is around us that we can tangibly experience. That the real is so much more that unless we experience it, our lives will never be life with a capital L. In fact, Jesus said this, the thief, that is the devil, comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that you may have life to its fullness or in its abundance. And he wasn't talking about stuff. He was talking about experiencing life that you can't see, experiencing life that you can't always hear. Experience a life that's for here and now and that lasts forever. And Jesus said that can only be experienced with childlike faith. The danger that we have when we live in a world, and this world in which we live primarily exists in this natural realm, is that we forget what it's like to be children. We forget the joy of Christmas. And all too soon, the children grow up And they start to think not like children, but they start to think like jaded adults. And we can be that. Or Jesus says, we can inherit the kingdom of God by remaining childlike in those important ways. So here's today's commitment. I will serve Jesus like a little child this week. I will serve Jesus like a little child this week. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but it means, first off, that we believe that there's a God who has a son whose name is Jesus who came to live and to die and to rise again for us. It means that the Holy Spirit is present in us who believe and that our lives are forever different. It means that when we see things out there in the world that disturb us, we'll be disturbed But we'll never assume that what's disturbing us has won. Because it can't. Because Jesus has already won. So if you're here today and you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I would remind us all that we need to continue to see with the eyes of faith the little childlike eyes. If you're here today and you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you've been living in this natural world of blacks and whites and grays, If you've been living in the magical world where you're just having an illusion because you know there's something realer than what you can see, you're right. But take the next step, the last and final step to not what's realer, but what's realist. God. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I've been living in the real world. I've been living in the magical world. And I want to live in the supernatural world that you created and that you inhabit, and that you have asked me to join. I come to you as a child. I'm not not smart enough to figure it out. 
I'm not big enough and tough enough to, to fight myself into it. But I want a life that's truly life. And if you'll do that in this moment, your life will be different forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you. I thank you for the supernatural world, which is real. I thank you for the things I can't see. You, for example, angels. Not so much for demons, but I thank you, God, that you are the winner of the eternal cosmic battle for my soul and for the soul of humanity. God, I thank you today that as we are gathered here in your presence, we are gathered here in your presence. And I ask today, God, that you would fill each of us with your Holy Spirit in a new and powerful way, especially those who came today empty, who have never experienced your power. I pray that you would fill them up to overflowing. And the rest of us, God, who have experienced it, maybe we're on empty too, fill us up anew that we might bring you glory and honor in all that we think, say, and do. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.